Well, good morning, church. Glad to be back with you. Elijah did, a, he's, I guess he's traveling somewhere around here, but Elijah last week did a great job. Let's show Elijah some love as he preached through the book of Jude for us and did a great job. Always so thankful for him. Uh, I was at Oviedo campus last week, as you know, because we are one church in two locations, that as we move forward with the purchase of the property, while we voted way back in January as a sign of excitement, Oviedo campus had to vote, and so that was last week, and so I preached both services there. They opened a business meeting, and I'm happy to report that they voted unanimously to support us in our endeavors, for sure. So they were excited about that. And so, uh, you know, when we got done with the service, uh, we were going to somewhere and, and my oldest son, James, who they went back yesterday and, and he said, Hey, how did you enjoy preaching at the Oviedo campus? And I said, you know, I enjoy that. I said, but at the end of the day, I just miss my family. I miss my East campus family. There's just a different, thank you. It's just, just a different vibe that is at East campus than anywhere else I've ever been. And so I love being here. And I'm glad to be back as we continue in our series one hit wonders. Now, many years ago, like 1997, I had the opportunity to do something that maybe many of you've done, but I've only, I've got to do a number of times, but it was one of those opportunities that really impacted and changed my life. I got to go on an international mission trip. Anybody been on an international mission trip? Okay. You know, those things change your life. And so I was like 24 years old, 25 years old. And I, we went to my pastor, we took a group of people and we went to Romania and I've been to Romania like seven or eight times. If I had to pick a place, I would love to go on missions. It's always Romania. In fact, Ken Calhoun and I have some of the same connections over there. But there's a lot of things I learned in Romania. I got to experience a lot of things. For example, one of the things I experienced that wasn't a great experience was these churches that are out in the middle of nowhere where you go and preach, uh, they, they don't have any indoor plumbing. And so you would have to go to the outhouse, and this is teenagers, this is before cell phones with lights on them. And so we go to the outhouse, and so that was an experience for me that I, I didn't necessarily enjoy. And so I'd never been to an outhouse before, and if you've not, you're not missing anything. And so anyway, I experienced that. But one of the things that probably had the greatest impact on me outside of just serving the people there was our interpreter. Our interpreter grew up in Romania and our interpreter on the last day we were there said, I want to give you a tour through the place called Timișoara, Romania. Timișoara, Romania is one of the two places where the revolution against communism broke out. It broke out in Bucharest and it broke out in Timișoara, opposite sides of the country. And so our translator was taking us around and driving us through Romania and he would pause and he would stop and say, okay, this is where I was when the revolution happened. I was hiding behind that wall over there when the military came in to wipe out everybody who was against communism. And then he took us to the church where his father-in-law was the preacher at, and he said, this is the church my father-in-law preached a message that led the riot that began in Timișoara, Romania, to break out in the revolution in 1989, I believe it was. And then he took us to a place that I never would have thought about. He took us to this massive, massive, massive Greek Orthodox church. I mean, when I say massive, it was bigger than any Catholic church I've ever seen. But it was a Greek Orthodox church. And we stopped there when we got out, and we began to walk up to the church. And he was showing me all these stains. He's like, you know, this has been here for, de- you know, for you know, a decade or so. And, and I'm like, well, what are all these stains? And he began to tell the story that when the revolution broke out, the people of Romania who were anti-communism would flood to the churches because the churches were a safe place. Communism would not come in. They would not kill them and take their 
lives while they were in a church. It didn't matter what kind of church it was. They just wouldn't come in after you. And so what they began to do, these people that are revolting, is they would run to churches and then they would hire out ambulance services to show up to those churches and they would run to the ambulances that would get them to a safe place out of the city. And that's what they would do. Well, the communists picked up on that. And this interpreter was telling me that this massive church, this Greek Orthodox church, would have held thousands of people, and it's massive. He said, so what happened is the ambulances pulled up to the front portion of this Greek Orthodox church, and as the people are flooding out of the church to get into ambulances, to get out of the city, he said what happened was the communists found out what was going on. So they bought those ambulances, and so when the people would come out of the churches, they would jump out of the ambulances with the machine guns, and they would just slaughter people on the front steps of the church. And I will never forget, visually, him telling me that story and seeing the stains on this concrete. These were people who were dying. Now, there's a part of me that goes, okay, I don't know that I will ever experience an attack like that in my life. Maybe many of you have experienced being under attack like that. I don't know that many of us, if any of us in the room, have ever experienced that. That's one of the beautiful things about living in the United States, right, is we don't have those things. We don't, now, could we get there one day? Sure, we could. But right now, none of us are in threat of somebody coming as we walk out the door that because we're Christians that they're just going to slaughter us as we walk out. We don't know that kind of threat. We don't know that kind of attack for our own lives. But here's what I do believe. I believe as a follower of Jesus Christ, we do know that kind of attack. Not necessarily on our lives, but there's an attack on truth, right? Would you agree with that? There's an attack on truth. And when I'm talking about truth, I'm talking about the truth of God's word. God's word is under attack. If you believe that, say amen this morning. It is under attack. Now, here's what I mean by that. When you think about God's word, I mean, even the, morale, the truth of the morality you see in God's word, like what is right and what is wrong. We live in a world that likes gray areas. We live in a world that wants to say nothing's absolute. You can't say that that is absolute, universal, consistent for everybody. So when you say this, Doug, you can't say that applies to everybody else. So they don't believe that the right and wrong we learn in scripture is for everybody. Truth is under attack. Truth is also under attack, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, but also when it comes to the family, right? What defines the family? And not only what defines the family, but now we're into the mode of what defines gender. And so we, all these things are under attack, right? And not only that, you know what else is under attack? The sanctity of human life. And I'm not just talking about the babies that are in the womb. I'm talking about birth through death. All life is sacred, right? All life. And there's an attack on that. And if you don't believe me, why is there 4,000 abortions done a day? Why are there senior adults that are not cared for that because they're viewed as not being worthy enough to give medical treatment and they're just passing away? I mean, there is an attack on the sanctity of human life. And so I feel like as born-again believers, it's our responsibility to realize the world is trying to snuff out biblical truth. And here's what we need to know. It's our responsibility as followers of Christ to uphold that truth. Are you with me on that? It's our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to make sure that we are upholding the truth that we find in God's word. So today what I want us to do is I want us to look at the value of upholding truth. Now hear me on this. Here's what is the most troubling for Doug this morning. It's not the world's attack on truth. Because the world is led by an enemy whose name is the devil. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But what troubles me the most is that there are people that are filling churches that are calling themselves Christians and they're attacking the truth. 
the number of conversations that we've had and I've had and you've had with people that go, well, you know what? I'm not, you know, I know this is a good book and I know it was, but it was 2,000 years ago. I'm not sure that the truth here is absolute. I'm not sure that the right and wrong in here is really right and wrong today because it was written 2,000 years ago and 21st century is very different. We have people in churches that feel that way. We're not sure that the morality we learn in scripture is the morality we ought to live by today. We have people in churches that are beginning to wonder and beginning to entertain. Well, based on science, maybe people are made that way. Now, let me just say something to you, and I'm going to jump into the mud here just for a second. And I'm going to get out. So if you're offended, it's okay. But listen to me say that. When we say that, when we say that as a Christian, that maybe people are made that way. In other words, beyond, not heterosexual, but beyond that. When people are made that way, here's what we're saying. If the Bible says that's an abomination to God, if the Bible says that that is not the plan God had for humanity, and we think people are made that way, here's literally what we're saying. We're saying that God created people to condemn people, and I just don't believe that. I, don't believe, I believe my Bible says that it's my will that no man should perish, right? And so what bothers me is when the church life, we begin to entertain those things. Well, maybe that's not the way. And even in church life, when we get so wrapped up just with the abortion issue and we neglect everything else. I mean, yes, the, the womb should be protected, but what about the rest of life? What about our widows? What about our orphans? What about our seniors? I mean, life is sacred all across the board. And so what's most troubling to me is not the world attack on truth. It's when Christians start attacking the truth that we're called to live by. So this morning, I want us to focus on what is, what is the value in all of us as believers upholding the truth of God's words. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the next one hit wonder, and we're going to look at the book of 2 John. 2 John, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 2 John, and we're not going to read this all at once, so you can stay seated this morning, but 2 John, there are three things I believe that we need to learn out of 2 John, and the first thing is this, is the value of living by the truth. We need to know the value of living by the truth. Look at me in verse 1 through 3. John says this, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. And so in these three verses, we find out the value of living by the truth. Did you notice there that he first of all says something? He calls an elect lady and her children. Well, let me just tell you this real quick. Most scholars are a little bit uncertain about what John's talking about because John doesn't give a name here. Some people believe that John's talking about a noble woman, a godly woman, and her children. Other scholars, most conservative theologians say that he's using the word lady in the feminine tense to refer to a local body of believers. You do know that as a church, we are called the bride of Christ. There's femininity in that. And so that John would be referring not to the church as a whole, but to a specific local church and their congregation. Regardless of where you land on that, he's addressing this issue of truth. And did you notice there he says to the, to the, uh, the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Now I love what John says here. He says, I have a deep love for those in the church who have a deep love for the truth. Now think about that. He says, I have this deep love for you because I know you have a deep love for the truth. And then he tells us what the basis of that love is. Verse 2, he says, because of the truth that abides 
in us. In other words, the reason I love you so much, because you love the truth, the reason I love you, the motivation for my love for you is not that I'm that great of a guy. My motivation for my love for you is not that I've got everything together. My motivation for my love for you is not that you are just like that awesome and easy to love. My motivation to love you is the truth that I've inputted into my life. Now, this is a point I don't want us to walk away from. Because here's what John is saying. The more truth I put in my life, the more I will love people. Are you with me on that? The more of this that you input into your life and you put into your heart, because you know why? When you put this stuff in, it exposes us, doesn't it? It exposes our weakness in our character, our integrity. It exposes so many things in our life. And the more I put God's word into my life, and it gives me a mirror of my own life, my own heart, my own wickedness, it helps me see myself the way Jesus sees me. Guess how I see other people? Differently. And John says, the more I put truth into my life, because the truth that's in me, I have a deep love for you. And I love John saying that. Listen, if you're here this morning, and let's just be honest, don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. If you struggle loving people, if you're that person going, people are just unlovable, duck. I'm telling you, people are just unlovable. I know that. I'm probably one of those people. I know. People are, you know, they're messy, they got issues, they, people take way too much of your time. I know all of that. But if you're struggling loving people, listen to me, is it possible your attitude toward people is a reflection of your attitude to inputting God's word into your life? See, there's a slogan we use around here, a slogan that we talk about a lot that, that takes our mission, our vision statement, and it makes them more succinct. And we talk about a lot around here that we are called to love God and to love people, Right? Are you with me on that, church? We're called to love God and love people. And maybe if we're struggling loving people, it's because we're not inputting the truth of God's word enough into our lives. And so John says, I have this deep love for you. And the base of that love is the word that I'm putting into my life. And then he tells us the value of living by the truth. Look with me in verse 3. Here's the value. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. He says, listen, I have this deep love for you. And it's not something I've just mustered up. My love for you is on the basis of the truth of God's word and, God, and the truth of what Jesus taught. And I've put it into my life. So this truth in my life, as it t- comes out of me, is coming out as a love I have for you. But he says, here's the value of living by the truth. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now listen to me just for a moment. For every believer in the room today, have we experienced the grace of God in our lives? Yes is the answer. Grace means an undeserved love of your heavenly Father. We've all, do any of us do, don't raise your hand, Tyler. Does any of us do, deserve the love of our heavenly Father? No. We have rebelled against God. We have uh, done everything we can to revolt against God. We don't deserve His love, but we have received His what? Grace, His undeserved favor in our life. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've experienced His grace. Have you experienced God's mercy as a believer? Yes, because you know what we deserve because we're sinners? We deserve eternal separation. But God didn't give us what we deserve. Jesus took that payment for us, right? And so we've experienced his mercy. Have we experienced his peace? Yes. When we put our faith in Christ, yes, we experienced his love and his mercy, but we also experienced a peace of knowing that we are safe and secure because we belong to Almighty God. That happens at salvation. 
But what John is saying is a little bit different. He's saying if you will commit to living by the truth, if you will commit to living by God's word, you will continually experience the grace, the peace, and the mercy of God. I don't know about you, but every day I get up, I need more of God's grace. How about you? Every day I get up, I need more of God's mercy because I'm one jacked up human being and I need his mercy. And every day I need the peace of God because the world brings too much stress into my life and I need God's peace. And he's saying, if we will live by the truth, hear me, not only will you experience the grace, peace, and mercy of Christ, but you will continually experience and enjoy the grace, mercy, and peace of Christ. So it's not a one and done. It's something that we get to experience every single day if we're living by the truth. And oh, by the way, these blessings that are gifts to us are gifts from Almighty God. There's nothing we've done to deserve them. There's nothing we've done to create enough favor with God that he goes, hey, I think you ought to have this. No, no, no. He gives it to us freely because he, what? Loves us, right? So listen to me, church. If we're going to uphold truth, we need to first, and John kind of works backwards here. You'll see that in a minute. We need to realize the benefit. We need to realize the blessing that comes by living by the truth. The blessing is we experience daily and enjoy daily the grace, the mercy, and the peace of Christ, the gifts that God has given us. But there's a second thing I want you to notice here, and this is where we're going to camp ground for a moment. And the second thing is this, that John issues a challenge to walk in truth and love. To issue a challenge to walk in truth and love. Look with me in verse 4 through 6. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This commandment, just as you've heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now, the very first thing that John addresses in this challenge is he addresses them and challenges them to walk in truth. Go back to verse 4. Walk in truth. Look at verse 4 again. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Did you notice there he says, I've applauded and rejoiced that some of your children are walking in truth. Now, what does that mean? It means there's some other ones that are not walking in the truth, right? So he's applauding this lady or this local church that some of your people, man, they're walking in truth. And man, I'm so happy. It has brought joy to my heart. But there's also some people that aren't walking in truth. And I just want to remind you, walking in truth is something that we have been commanded to do. Now, hear me on this church. Not only was this church commanded to walk in truth, so are you and I. Yeah, we're commanded to live by the truth, and there's blessing that comes with that. Daily experiencing, enjoying the, the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. But listen, we are commanded to walk in truth every day. So hopefully that begs this question. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk in truth? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just the acquisition of knowledge. It doesn't just mean the acquiring of knowledge. It doesn't mean you just, under, walking in truth doesn't mean, well, I have a good biblical foundation of what the Bible teaches on generosity, or what the Bible teaches on forgiveness, or what the Bible teaches on serving. See, walking in truth has nothing to do with the knowledge you acquire, but the life you are living. 
The Apostle Paul said it best. Knowledge is puffed up, but it's love that edifies. In other words, what Paul says is, hey, it's not enough to know the right stuff if you're not doing anything about it. And so to walk in truth literally means it's not about just the acquiring of information. It's about how we live our lives. Are we being hearers of the word only? Are we being doers of the word? And I want you to write this down. Here's what it means to walk in truth. Write this definition down. It means to order our lives according to God's word. To walk in truth means to order our lives according to God's word. Here's what I mean. It means not only putting this word into my life so I understand and know biblical truth, but now I'm going to live that biblical truth out. Just a quick question, no hands. Do you know what the Bible says about forgiveness? Do you know what the Bible says about the marriage relationship? Do you know what the Bible says about parenting our kids from the Old Testament through the New Testament? Do we know what the Bible says about our finances? Do we know what the Bible says about relationships? Do we know what the Bible says about our enemies? Do we know what the Bible says about anger management? Do we know what the Bible says about oaths and vows that we take? Do we know what the Bible says about all this stuff? And if we know it, are we walking in that? Are we living that? See, some of you go, well, pastor, I just don't know. Well, you know what? You have Google anymore, right? And you've got a Bible, and I can get you a concordance, And I can get you a commentary, and there is no excuse. I mean, while there's a lot of terrible things with today's technology, I understand it. There's also some real blessings. At your fingertips, there's an app called Blue Letter Bible. It's a free app, and you can use it that will help you dive in and dig in to God's Word. There is no excuse for us not to know. And so if we're going to walk in truth, listen, it's not just about knowing those things, though. It's also about living them out. So I want you to ask yourself this hard question this morning. Am I walking in truth? Do I know what the Bible says and am I living it out? Do I know what the Bible says about my finances? Do I know what the Bible says about forgiveness? Do I know what the Bible says about lust? Do I know what the Bible says about marriage? Do I know what the Bible says about pursuing a deep relationship with the Lord? And not only do I know it, am I living it? See, that's what it means to walk in truth. And we are commanded to walk in truth. But then he gives us a second thing. Not only commanded to walk in truth, we are also commanded to walk in love. Look with me in verse 5 and 6 again. He says this, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now listen, did you notice there that he reminds this lady or this local church of one of the most valuable commandments that was ever given? That we are called to what? Love who? Love God and who else though? People. We are called to love one another. No excuses, no, no, no rationalizations, no, 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 no sense of you going, well, you know what, I, I, I deem them unlovable. No, 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 no. We are all unlovable at that point. We are called to love one another. In fact, Jesus said it himself in John's gospel, chapter 13, verse 34, should be on the screen. It says this, and a new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. 
you are also to love one another. Now, pause. How did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. Now, come on. Have you ever been hurt by somebody? Anybody ever been hurt by somebody? How easy is it to love those people that way? Some of you are like, well, I just don't think I have to do it. Well, okay, that's, 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 you're wrong, but okay, if you want to go that route. But I, I've been hurt by people. We've all been hurt by people. And we really realize what Jesus says, that just as I have loved you with that same kind of love, I want you to love one another. I want you to love other people sacrificially. I want you to love other people with forgiveness in mind. I want you to love people and have this unconditional affection and loyalty and commitment to them just like I've had to you. Now, when we truly think about the depth of that, that's much harder than it sounds like, isn't it? But it's what we're called to do. Now, I love what John does. John is brilliant because next he tells us how we're to love one another. What, how, how do we make that happen? Look what he says in verse 6 again. He says, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. So how do we love one another? By walking in truth, Right? How do we love one another? By keeping his commandments. His commandments that say, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Pray for your enemies or, or love those who persecute you. I mean, none of those things are things we get excited about, right? But those are commandments that we have. And so we realize that we have been told that the way we are to love one another is by keeping his commandments. And I love what John has done here. John is reminding us this. The only way you and I can walk in love is by walking in truth. See, and here's why that's important. John wants us to know that love and truth can't be separated. And here's what I mean. There's a lot of people, and maybe you feel this way, and I just want to help you this morning. Maybe you feel this way that, hey, I know that I'm called to love people, so when I engage people that buy into a different worldview, when I engage people that have a different mindset, they have a different morality than what Scripture has, there's a real mindset among Christians going, well, I need to love them, and if I'm going to love them, that means I don't want to offend them, and because I don't want to offend them, that means somehow I'm going to tolerate the sin that I see or tolerate the lack of morality I see, and I'm not going to address the things that I know that need to be addressed. Listen to me. If you're going to walk in truth and walk in love. Walking in love means speaking the truth always. Now, you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to be a holier than thou about it. But in some way, some fashion, some form, through the help and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to walk in love always comes out by speaking truth. Because if you don't speak truth, then what good are you? What good am I? If someone is coming in, and let's just say they're coming in there, and they're talking to me, and they're like, Doug, hey, you know, we, we want to do this, but yet we're cohabitating. And, and I, I, Biblically, that's not what we're supposed to do. There's a framework with the act on the physical relationship, and that framework is called what? Marriage. Marriage. And if you're not married, we're breaking God's law. So I would be wrong for me to go, wait a minute, let's not, because if you're you rebelling against God there, that's going to have a ripple effect in the rest of your life. And it's my responsibility because I love them to do what? Speak truth. Not condemning them. I'm not judging them. I'm loving them. So when you love your kids, do you speak truth to your kids? Come on. If you love your kids, do you speak truth to them? Sure you do. And the same thing's true with other people. So John says, he commands them, we need, or he challenges them, we need to walk in truth, but we also need to make sure that we walk in love. And the third thing I want you to notice is this. He gives a warning about walking in the truth. Look at me in verse 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, 
Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, underline that, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him is taking part of his wicked works. Here's the third thing we see is a warning about walking in truth and love. And he gives really two warnings. Here's the first one. Watch yourself. Can we agree that the world, even, even, even the Christian world, or even the world that calls themselves Christian, that when it comes to biblical convictions and doctrine, that even there's not a consistency out there in the world today? There's a lot of things going on. And he says, listen, there's those that are going to come along that are deceivers, and you need to watch yourself. You need to watch what you're inputting into your life. Obviously, what John has told us, first of all, we need to input this, right? He says, but when other things come your way, you've got to be careful what you put in. You've got to watch yourself. You've got to watch yourself from bad doctrine. You've got to watch yourself from developing wrong convictions. You've got to watch yourself of anything that comes along and tries to preach a message different than the message we see in God's word. Watch yourself. And I'm just going to tell you, that's why all through scripture, like Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. You know what that means? You know in your heart, that's where faith happens. That's where conviction happens. That's where loyalty happens. And if we don't guard our heart, all those things get corrupted. He says, you better watch yourself. I don't know about you, but as you leave this morning and you encounter this next week of your life, you spiritually have to be on watch because the enemy is going to inundate and attack and do whatever he can to stifle your witness. He's going to do everything he can to help erode your convictions and you have to be on watch. And then he says this, I love it. He said, there's some among you who will not continue in the way. They will not continue in the teachings, and they do not have God. Now, just bear with me for a moment. It's not our job to judge people, but it is our job to be fruit inspectors. Are you with me on that one? And he says, there's those around you who call themselves Christians, and they are not following the teachings of Christ. They are not bought in, and they're not living any. I'm not talking about struggling. I'm talking about they are flat out not living that life. And here's John's conclusion. They don't have God. You can profess Christ and still be lost. You can say you're a Christian, and if you're not living a life of obedience to his word, I know we all struggle, but if you're not committed to live for him, that's not evidence that you truly have a relationship with Christ. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, after he preached this amazing sermon on the mount, he says, those of you that hear my words and do not follow them, you're like a man who's built his house upon the sand. And when the winds and the waves come, what happens to it? It crumbles. But those of you that hear my words and you keep my words and you obey my commands, you're like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And what's, what's Jesus paralleling there? There are a lot of people who are going to say they're followers of Jesus. But if they're not living according to Christ and his word, that is not evidence of salvation. It's only those who live and keep the commandments of the Lord and obey his word that is evidence of salvation. So John says, be on watch. And then he has one last warning here, and it's this. Distance yourself from the deceivers. Distance yourself. Did you notice there what he said? He said, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, which means the gospel, the good news, do not receive him into your house. 
He said, I want you to distance yourself from people who are teaching false doctrine. Why? Because don't give them any window of opportunity to lead you astray. But something else I never thought about until last night, and signing her on bed, she's like, I thought about that many times. I'm like, well, I've never thought about it. It was this. We're not to have fellowship with those people either. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Some of you are like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, okay, but just reread what we just said. There are many of us who possibly, when we see the Mormons walking down the street or the Jehovah's Witness walking down the street, some of you, some of you are like, oh, I just hope they don't come to my door. I just hope they don't come to my door. I just hope they don't come to my door. I'm not going to answer the door. Then there's others of you that lick your chops going, oh, I can't wait for them to come into my house. <laughs> what does John say? Don't let them in. Don't let them in. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't reach them for the gospel. What I'm saying is when you entertain them into your the word greet there means to make welcome. When you welcome into your home, you're giving a wicked teaching an ability to be expelled and spoken in your house. He, what does he say there? He says, you're allowing these wicked works in. And we need to guard ourselves. We need to make sure we distance ourselves. When people are preaching the gospel that is not the real gospel, it's something else, or they're saying that Jesus isn't enough and you need Joseph Smith or you need something else. Listen, we need to distance ourselves from those people. Don't welcome them into your home and let them speak false truth in your home. Now, if you want to go share the gospel with them, go do it. But they don't get that opportunity. Because most of the time, I've always had the mentality of, well, you know what? If you're going to share as a Mormon, you're going to share. Give me the same amount of time to share with you about Jesus. And as I read this last night, I was convicted that I shouldn't be doing that. Don't give them access to my home. Don't, listen, don't give them a voice in my life that they don't deserve. Are you with me on that, church? Does that make sense? And so John, what he does, John, to wrap this up, John basically does this. He tells the people the value of living by the truth. He challenges them to walk in truth and love. And then he gives a warning about being distanced from those people who teach false doctrine. Now, I don't know about you, but psychologists will say that when anybody's backed into a corner, you have one of two responses. Fight or flight, right? I'm either in it or I'm running. And I want you to hear me this morning, church. You have one of those two choices this morning. We all agree truth is under attack. We all agree that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to uphold the truth. We are called to live by the truth, to walk in truth, to walk in love, to guard our heart from the wickedness of the world. We are all called to that, but we all have a choice. We've all been proverbially backed into the spiritual corner this morning going, what are we going to do? Are we going to fight? See, if we're going to fight, that means we make a commitment this morning that I'm going to walk in truth. I'm going to put this word into my life. I'm not going to use any more excuses. I'm going to make sure this word is invading my life. If we're going to fight, we've got to walk in truth. We've also got to walk in love. And then when we do that, we can enjoy the benefits of doing so. Or we can flight. We can run. We can take the message this morning that John has given us and go, you know what? It's not that big a deal, Pastor. Now listen, if you choose that route, listen to me. Here's what you're going to see happen over the next months of your life. You're going to see your convictions begin to erode. You're going to see your sense of morality begin to evaporate. And you're going to see your relationship with the Lord become more and more and more and more and more distant. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to fight. Are you with me on that? If you don't believe me, well, Pastor, where do you see it in Scripture? It's called the book of Acts. 
We're called to stand up for truth. Apostle Paul in Romans says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, Paul was one of those guys while he was chained in prisons, writing letters about rejoice. And then again, I say rejoice. He's challenging people. Why? Because Paul was a fighter. Peter was a fighter. Will we be fighters? Are we going to run? See, if you're willing to fight this morning, listen to me. Will you make a commitment to walk in truth, to walk in love, and then enjoy the benefits and the blessings of that? And if you've been a runner, would you stop running this morning? And maybe you're here for the first time this morning and you've never trusted Christ. And maybe you've been here and, and the Holy Spirit's been nudging you, you've never trusted him. Listen, you've been running for a long time. You're that person that when we have the invitation, you're like, man, I feel everything in me wants to kind of you throw up or get up or, or make a response, but I've never done anything. Listen, would you stop running today? And I'm not going to ask you to fight. What I'm going to ask you to do is just surrender. Just say, Lord, I'm tired of running. I give you my life today. So what response do you need to make this morning? I'm going to ask you right now, every head bowed and every eye closed, let's stand together. Every head bowed and every eye closed, let's just all stand together. And I just want to challenge us this morning. Now, if you're here this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you understand as a believer that we are called to walk in truth, to walk in love, and to enjoy the benefits. But if you understand that, if you really understand that, would you just raise your hand this morning? Every believer who understands that, just raise your hand. Yeah. Great, just put them back down. If you're here this morning, say, so you know what, Doug? I've been a runner. But today, I need to become a fighter. Today, I need to make a new commitment to the Lord to do those things. Nobody's looking around. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up and put it right back down. I'm just going to pray for you. I probably can't see you, but I'm going to pray for you. If you've been a runner... And you're ready to be a fighter. Yeah, just, amen. Just put it up and right back down. Amen. Amen. Probably all of us have done that. So whatever decision you make this morning, would you do that? Would you say, Lord, I'm going to fight. Fighting for you. Maybe you need to come to this altar and you just need to pray. Maybe it's not even related to the message this morning. You just need to get on your knees before a holy God and just seek him out this morning. How the Lord might lead you. Would you respond? If you need to trust Christ this morning, would you just say yes to him? And then let us know so we can talk about it. How the Lord lead you, please respond. God, I love you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Second John. I thank you. There's so much there, Lord. But I thank you for the way John wrote it. I thank you that John reminds us that the only way we can walk in love is by walking in truth. They are synonymous. They are not separate. And God, we live in a world where truth is always under fire. And God, I pray with every fiber of my being that as believers we would recognize that we are called to uphold truth, that we are called to live by that truth, to walk in that truth, and to walk in love, Lord. That's what it's going to take for us to stop looking like the world and look more like Christ. So God, I pray for believers this morning that we would make a real commitment that we would make a commitment to stop running and start fighting. And God, I pray for that person that maybe doesn't know you, that today they would stop running, and today they would just surrender. God, would you speak to us today? Would your Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts this very moment? For it's in the precious and glorious Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to come to the altar and pray, please do. If not, if you want to sit on your seat, or you just want to stand there as we worship, However the Lord is leading you, would you and I, would we be faithful to respond to that? Let's, let's worship together.